Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. And welcome to the OMG MotoGP podcast. Coming up on the show today, KTM and their bid for more bikes. Quattararo gives Yamaha an ultimatum. Alex Marquez's future is secured. And a little look ahead uh, to this weekend's Austrian Grand Prix. But before all of that, a massive thank you for all the amazing feedback after episode one. It's great to be back with you all. Um, please make sure to continue to download, subscribe, leave a review on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. You have no idea how far that goes. Just search OMG MotoGP wherever you get your podcast. And if you have a question, you can send us a 30-second voice note or email uh, omgmotogp at gmail.com. Right. The recording date is Monday, the 14th of August. My name is Harry Benjamin, joined as always by former Grand Prix rider and British champion Keith Ewan. And we're doubling up on the show today because another former Grand Prix rider, a British champion, a world superbike champion twice over, James Toesland joins us for a chat. Welcome, James. Thanks for taking the time. Whereabouts are you in the world joining us from this morning? Uh, I'm in my conservatory at home in sunny Sheffield. Oh, very nice. Very oh, snazzy. Conservatory slash room. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just I just want to start though before we delve into to all things racing, doing my research obviously on you, JT, um, and the music the music side obviously comes up pretty pretty early on, and I just have to know. So you're a vocalist in your own band, Toesland, mm-hmm. grade six pianist. I mean, anything else? <laughs> yeah. Do you want to see my little baby? Oh yes. If you get a little this tour is, as is, well. This is videoed, isn't it, sir? Yeah, 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 absolutely. This is my pride and joy that HM planned that uh, John Jones and Kathleen Jones bought me when I won in Oster uh, in uh, Germany in Ostersleben in 2003. Oh, look at that. It's uh, the grand that... piano that I was... Uh, How regularly are you on that? Uh, most days, yeah. And yeah. there's, there's the the secondary thing I had going on in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? That's actually one of the questions I have. Because, I mean, I, I, I played piano when I was really young. I played sort of every instrument under the sun, but I gave them all up because I couldn't be asked to practice them all. Because you need that discipline to, to be able to practice and get better and better. And doing a grade, you know, there's, there's eight grades. You did six of them, clearly. It takes a lot to get to that level. But 
that discipline in in sort of with music with music does that help you with your your motorbike and, and motorsport career when you were forging that at the same time yeah strangely that 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 was really kind of how how things connected with with the piano and also you had something to relax to as well after like you know traveling around at 200 miles an hour every weekend it was nice to just come back and and chill i got a lot of stick for it because um a, a biker like when i first started in the late 90s or mid 90s late 90s it was it was a pretty um pretty male orientated kind of like uh, um alpha male environment that i was in uh and and playing the piano just wasn't wasn't the thing to be doing amongst those people that i'd kind of uh found myself amongst them i remember even a, a massive ba banner at Branzach saying hodgson's no piano player he's world champion when i was his teammate so it it was you know it was serious for some people um that they didn't like that um uh those two things that, that there's no connections but there was connection there was that focus and that and dedication to it and trying to play a song without any mistakes in it was like doing a super pole lap without any mistakes in it to get your qualifying lap with that same mentality of an, an approach to it to um to having that that concentration level uh, that you needed what did you learn how to play the violin every time something went wrong <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, me and Oji had it as a two great years to get. There's not many. There's not many kind of teammates that you have that you can genuinely say that they are they are your mate, and uh, and Neil's Neil's one of them. It is a difficult thing, isn't it, around the paddock though, JT, and particularly if you're successful, and particularly if I might say with your personality, because you are so exacting um, and so demanding of yourself. I mean, we used to say about Freddie Spencer whether he'd had a new chip put in when he turned up at the racetrack. Well, the same from my perspective and I've known you since you were 15 was the same with you you could turn up and your intensity is incredible and do you think the music really sort of smoothed that out a little bit gave you gave you just that escape that bloody extra something that made it uh, a little bit more easier to 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 cope with maybe maybe I, I've always felt like an outsider in the game that I was in but I didn't mind that I didn't mind being an outsider. He gave me more motivation to um, to quieten people down than I needed to, um, and so it was a great motivator being 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 in that kind of role. And yeah, I just wasn't one of them. I knew I wasn't one of them. I knew I wasn't the the the, the kind of the stereotypical motorcycle racer. But but what I was doing, it seemed to work. So you you just got to keep following your own path, at you sometimes. Do you still feel like that, James? I mean, like we only had a night out the other day at Sheffield Speedway at Alton, and and. We've known each other for a long time. I've read your book, and I hope other people have as well, because your background is 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 just as intense as I think we would expect it to be. But I mean, do you feel like as you've matured, you're in your forties now, or or, or up there, um, you're still a very young man, but do you still feel that you're kind of maturing into to later life, if you like? You seem a lot more relaxed, I think, than I've ever known you now. I, I am because I'm just a pundit now, like like we all get to, and I'm not competing against races anymore. And what I found out was I only had that that kind of edge and that grudge grunge uh, against other races, but the actual fan base and the the, the motorcycle fraternity on on a whole, they really appreciated and respected what I achieved on the track and also what I actually did off the track. And I've found that out since retiring. It took a while to do that, and but. But yeah, I'm, I'm much. I, I, I when I when I first retired after the wrist injury, I and I was working um, 
was working in the Grand Prix paddock. Um, I didn't want to be there. Um, I didn't want to be at a racetrack without racing. Racing was the only reason why I was involved in racing. And um, it, it took a while for that to, to die down. And then 10 years on, I've, I've really appreciated being amongst the motorcycle world, the family that it is, because it is a huge, great family. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's taken a while for me to relax into it. Do you think that people have grown to appreciate you as well? Because the one thing that, that is absolute about James Dozen is your honesty and your compassion. Now, there are things that, that kind of, I don't think, always come out. That, you know, Generally, people aren't interested in things as, as important, in my view, as that. Um, do you think people have, have grown to sort of love James Tozen more since racing, do you think, now that you, you perhaps have relaxed a little bit and you show um, a bit more of your own personality? Because blimey, there is no bloke I know that is more fun on a night out than James Tozen. And I don't think many people know that. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good it's a good thing that people don't get to know that so. <laughs> but yeah I appreciate, that. I appreciate that yeah you got evidence you have evidence I appreciate that Keith but yeah I think um, I think I think you're right I think the, the way I got introduced to motorcycle racing and then what I raced motorcycles for personally wasn't overly healthy for myself and for everybody around me that was involved on why I was wanting to achieve what I wanted to achieve and what and what I thought why I thought you needed to approach your racing with mentality wise it, it it just it wasn't healthy and it's took me a long time to to kind of uh, stop being on that treadmill and and step off it and actually look at the the wonderful career and the wonderful life that motorcycle racing can bring you and uh, it's not just about beating everybody else and everybody says that i can't do it i'm going to prove that i can do it and it's sometimes it can be an exhausting existence being that way i think i mean i i, I haven't asked you this before even though we've discussed stuff like this before but i mean there's nothing quite like a massive smack in the teeth or a push um to bring out the best in a competitive person is there and i think that um with the bt scenario regarding yourself they didn't really treat you with the respect that you deserve and you push back and just said, huh, okay, that's it. I'm done. And off you went. There's very few people that have got the confidence, the balls, um, to carry that one off. It's all worked out fairly well though. Yeah. I, 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 I feel that, you know, I've got a decent moral compass with stuff and, um, and some things did happen behind the scenes with BT and I wasn't happy with it. And, I don't think they expected me to go. Okay, I, I don't. I don't like to work in that way. I'm. I'm going to move on. And um, you know, I. I didn't foresee that now that uh, the Discovery Group with Warner Brothers and Eurosport was going to then purchase BT Sport. That so the company I've worked for for the last couple of years has now bought them. Um, and I find myself in the group that I am happy with and respected in. Uh, that own the whole of real motorcycling now from British Superbikes to Speedway to Worlds and MotoGP and everything. So it's, um, you know, what goes around comes around. And as long as you can kind of like just go through life knowing what's right and wrong. And um, I've been taught that, if nothing else. Mm. You mentioned your wrist a bit earlier on that ended your career. And obviously that was something that, I, I mean, I have to say that it was one of the one things that you couldn't quite have this stiff upper lip over. I've seen you in tears over the fact that it, it ended your career early you're still having operations to get that wrist right you're not going to make a comeback are you 
I've got, ironically, I had an operation booked in October 27th this year. I was going to do Argentina for Worlds, uh, finish the season off, fly to America in, in Austin. And there's a surgeon out there that's had a look at my operations that said after looking at three x-rays that the work I'd had done was a shambles, which was heartbreaking. After seven operations and 11 years, um, trying to just get some movement back and also to to get rid of the pain because the, the pain in the wrist is, is, has been really life-affecting as well as all the medication pain to the pain relief to to all the side effects that that brings as well it was a, a real it's been a real slog for 10 years they had to fuse well i told them to fuse it a couple of years ago which is then giving me the breathing space because it's locked completely the wrist doesn't bend at all but it's given me the breathing space without the pain to get my life back together get back on television again with uh with the uh, eurosport and discovery and 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 actually enjoy my new life for the first time uh so it's all kind of come at that 10 year period of of the the grieving of not racing anymore and recovering from that. Um, and there is a surgeon out there that says he can give me 40, 50% movement back with a new procedure that they don't do here. Um, so I've had, I'm, I've had a deep breath. I'm going, okay, do I go for an eighth operation on my wrist? The two month, you know, recovery from all of that and all the rest that, that it brings recovering. You've seen Mark Marquez over the last few years. It's, it's a grueling process. And I was really pleased that Mark Marquez did the behind the scenes things just to really show the, the psychological um, uh, uh, effort that it is to, to recover from all of these injuries and try and get back to being a professional sportsman. It's, a, it's, it's, it's psychological, although not, not only physical that you have to recover from, but I'm going to have a go at it. I've had to change the date of the operation to December the 8th because they've put Jerez now in World Superbikes. Uh, uh, literally on the weekend I was supposed to have the operation, they put Jerez there. So... Luckily, the surgeon had a few dates in December, so I'm going to have a go at it. But I won't be coming back again, Keith. It's, uh, um, it, five years ago, I would have loved. I would have, if a surgeon could have given me the movement back five years ago, you'd, you'd have, I'd, I'd have jumped back in my leathers. But I'm 42 now, 43 in October, and and uh, as much as my brain and heart feels like I could slipstream Jonathan Ray and Top Rack and and push them out <laughs> way, push them out of the way to turn one. Um, I'll always think that way. You you still think that way, Keith? I'm sure. I think any racer always will think that way. But uh, you've got uh, you've got to have a reality check at some point. <laughs> yeah. well, and I'm I mean, not going to allow them to give me that reality check, Keith. <laughs> well, it's never boring with you. That's for sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Life's never boring with you, James. It's absolutely for sure. But um, I've got to ask you. Um, we haven't spoken about this before, but uh, you're a single man again now. How's that going? <laughs> Yeah. I don't think I've talked to I don't think I've talked about this uh, to to anybody really. It's uh, I am a single man. Yes, me and Kate uh, we divorced. Um, what is it now? It coming up to three years ago now. It's it's time's flying. Um, and uh, yeah, we uh, we we obviously it it was amicable, and we 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 sat down and and we saw our our crazy lives of me being an ex racer uh, and and getting over uh, not having my career anymore. And her with a successful music career, uh, it was it was two worlds colliding um, and trying to exist. Um, even when it's all rocking and rolling and fine, it was a difficult one to um, to kind of uh, uh, get right. Um, when I did MotoGP, you've done it yourself, Keith. Um, if anybody's done the MotoGP calendar, you're away for about seven months of the year, um, and um, it's a grueling calendar to, to to be on. And you're traveling all the time away a lot. And, all of these natural kind of um, hurdles that a relationship needs to to succeed was um, 
was just a little bit too difficult. Um, so, you know, I made the decision and we had a chat about it that uh, I think it would be best if we uh, if we live uh, life separately and, and, and keep carving out the paths that we both wanted to um, with the intensity that we wanted to. Um, it, it was too selfish to do it together. And, you know, as, as much as I want to say, obviously, about it, um, uh, that's probably, in a nutshell, that's where it was. Katie's a, a wonderful, successful, uh, and talented uh, lady, and I had a wonderful late-year marriage with her, and I'll forever praise her. Um, she's uh, And she's just her mom now as well, so I was, I was really happy that uh, she's a mom as well now, so she's, she's on a good path. You are a top man, James. You know, thank you very much for sharing that with us. I was not expecting um, quite the honesty that you've just given us with that one. I'll add just one thing in, in there. I didn't meet my now wife until I was 45 years old. And 23 years later, three children, completely out of the blue, unexpected. Um, love and care and, and success in that area. I wasn't expecting. I think that, that for anybody out there listening that thinks it's um, it's over, it ain't ever over. You never know what's around the corner when it comes to um, your personal life, that no. is for sure. Anyway, every, on that every, subject, everything we... passes. I've noticed with the career, with the marriage, um, if you look after yourself and you're good to yourself and let yourself recover, um, if you don't let yourself recover from these things with, with life's um, um, trappings, um, you won't. But if you're good to yourself and you stay healthy and you stay in a good place, um, your brain will will heal and and everything does pass. And and you need to be healthy as well. To if if you're moving on from one thing and you want the next thing to be as good or better, then you've got to keep yourself on top form, which is not easy. And that's that's the key. Said says the good-looking bastard with a piano and millions in the bank. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know, I, I I I I nearly let it all go after the fourth or fifth operation with my wrist, and I was sat on the bed and I'd had enough, Keith. Like, and I mean, had enough. And so, um, it it those those things that you just rattled off mean nothing. Um, you know, in 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 tough times. And. No one has more experience of that mindset than you, of course. If we go back just um, a few more years, and if anybody's read the book, they'll understand what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I spoke. I spoke a lot about it because I think I speak a lot about it for my own understanding of suicide. Is what we're talking about, and um, um, there's two sides to to it for me of understanding. Um, I was exposed to that can be an option in life when I was vulnerable and a teenager, which, um, which is not good. It, it's, it's not good to, for your, um, you know, especially your parents who was then my stepdad, um, that, sh that, that showed you that that could be a, an option, uh, in life when it gets a bit tough. And, uh, that's a, that's a struggle. I think I'll have for life that, um, when times are tough, I'll always go to that on, you know, is it is it is it a better is it a better option at this point in time? And with the risk problems, complications, and seven operations, and and the pain and and, and medication, that they, they were they, I, I I certainly thought about that a lot for sure. But then on the flip side of it, uh, I'm a victim of it, and never ever could I do that to the people that I would leave behind, because I was left behind, and um, so they're the two experiences and 
um, or they're, they're the two kind of uh, um, things that came from it, emotions from it that um, uh, that that I kind of battle with. But it's um, it's it's the, one of the UK's highest killers um, of of especially middle aged men, uh, and it's it's a real problem in in the UK, and I think globally it's it's a real problem. Um, and uh, there's there's lots you know that you can talk about. Uh, with religion and thinking that a next life is going to be better, we go to heaven or hell. And I mean, we, there's there's a whole show on talking why the human brain thinks that taking their life uh, would be a better option than 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 living and having a life. And it's um, but it's it's a complicated it's a complicated subject, and it's it's certainly complicated for the people that have to live with it once once they've been victim of it. I think at this point, Harry, is where we as as responsible broadcasters obviously make sure that anybody that's listening to this, watching this, um, follow the the guidelines that, that that are out there and the and the and the facilities and the the people that are out there to help with anything. If you're feeling in in any way vulnerable in this particular regard, then um, get that help. We'll try and put something up on screen just to make sure that um, we're doing the right thing. It's an illness. It's, it's an illness. If anybody's listening, it's an illness. And when you're ill, when you're mentally ill, you shut down, you know, and and you want to you want to end the the the, the suffering. And you know, we've become accustomed to because it's quite widely known that 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 is an option for for, for people. But um, um, if you do get the help and the support. And possibly medication if you need it. Uh, your mental health will improve to where you get to the point if you've got the right support, to where you you're you're quite you you know you're so relieved that you didn't go down that path, and um, you you can't believe that actually that that was an option for yourself at some point in your life. I can't believe that that, that we're sharing this situation because now I can share with you i mean the 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 guy that brought me on through racing um my mum's brother um all the way through speedway into road racing and beyond he took his own life so i do understand more about what james is speaking about than perhaps some do for me i never reached out and didn't get any help and managed to find a way on my own to sort that out so it can be done in different ways obviously um but it would have been much easier had i reached out uh, these many years on since since i had to recover from that um uh, uh, yeah i would always suggest to others to to reach out for that support that help the, it is there. The, one of the biggest problems men have is shame and yeah. the feeling of shame about not wanting to burden people with yourself and when you're in a really bad place you 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 just feel like you're so much of a burden to people like tenfold when that's not the case but because you're so ill you feel that you know you need 24-hour care of people around you when actually you don't but it's just because you're in such dire straits yourself you feel like you're such a burden on yourself and other people around you and they would be better off if you weren't around. And it, it's the biggest, it's the, it's the, it's one of the biggest Achilles heels mentally that 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 we have um, 
that uh, it it's not the that is not that is not the approach you you you, you need on it you know because everybody around you um, just wants you to, uh, to to be healthy and if you need looking after they don't mind looking after you um, you know but as long as you look after yourself that's the thing like anything like bereavement or anything else you get like a certain period of time where everybody will give you sympathy like if you you know say your grand dies you get a couple of weeks off people they'll come to the funeral you know they'll they'll, they'll check in a couple of times. But after a couple of weeks, two or three weeks, it's down to you as well to, to just get on with it. And uh, But um, depending on how ill you are, you're not able to just get on with it. And that's when you do need to ask for help. To, because if you get the help, you will be able to get on with it. But you, you, it, depends how, it depends how far gone it is. And as you said, James, actually, the, the one thing is men men don't talk about it really. But yeah, that's why I think this is just sitting up, just sitting here listening for 20 minutes. But you two just talking about it will go such a long way for anybody that might be watching this or, or suffering maybe similar issues. But as we said, we put all, all the details up on, on the screen and in the bios below as well. Um, but um, yeah, I think I've known you, what, 20, 23 minutes now, James. And I have to say, you're the way you talk and and your, your opinions and, and your eloquence is 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 fantastic it's brilliant and and there there aren't enough people like you i think in 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 uh in the motor sports industry particular which you know talk obviously a male dominated sports where probably when you are an athlete as well i imagine there's a lot of you don't want to give anybody a weakness you don't want there to be a, a chink in the armor especially when you're you're going up through the ranks so is all this stuff that, that you're mentioning things you've learned very much sort of towards the latter stage of your sort of racing career or was this something you actively had in mind as you were growing older if if i had to have had the bereavement of of because uh, i lost my grandpa as well within six months of the of the suicide and and that was my my, my father figure when because my mum and dad divorced when i was three so um I, I never really saw my dad much so uh my, my father figure was my grandpa and, and then obviously then my mum met uh, ken who then had a motorcycle who bought me a motorcycle that started the whole thing um and then losing them two together within six months uh and i was that that i was out without that without that period at 16 years old i wouldn't have been a double world champion and like i can categorically say that i wouldn't have been a successful motorcycle racer if that that those uh, experiences um hadn't have lit a bonfire um and 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 also you know keith was talking about i was a bit different it was because, I mean, without Mick Corrigan living in the same village, reading the newspaper that, that saw the bereavement and then rang me and said, how are you going to get to racing now? I says, I can't. So he said, well, you know, ch ch jump in our van, we'll take you. We've got a CB500 this year for the first time. It's a new championship. Jump in our van, we'll take the bike. I'm riding 600s anyway. You can, we'll be teammates. So um, that that was how I entered motorcycle racing just working with a team i never had like the father coming to the races as such uh, uh obviously and my mom hated it so she very rarely uh came she uh and so it it was then my mom obviously didn't want me to do it um after after that that had happened um but she she'd started something that she then couldn't stop and then with the the grief and all the rest of it um i couldn't stop because racing was the only thing that kept me out of jail, should we say? Because uh, I'd have gone mad, you know, without rattling around at 100, 200 miles an hour, um, and and then and then I used it for the whole career. 
and I exaggerated those emotions. I, I, every year I jumped up the championships that got a bit tougher. I went from CB500 to 600 to World Supersport to British Supersport. Every time I jumped up a category and it was a bit more difficult, well, I chuck a bit more frustration on, chuck a bit more, um, um, you know, anger um, at it. And and I used to listen to Who Wants to Live Forever by Queen before I even got my helmet on in the motor. It was it was it was unhealthily competitive, and like I didn't have I didn't I didn't make many friends because I I wasn't within a family. When your dad when your dad goes, your dad gets friendly with other dads and stuff, you know. But I was just literally going with a team, did one year, and then I was with Castro Honda going around world championship racing. So, uh, but that's what that's what molded me to approaching my job like I did do, which. Uh, it was very difficult when I stopped with the injury because I'd, I'd manifested all this inside and I didn't have any outlet. That was the, that's why it went, that's why it went a bit uh, pear-shaped at the end. Told you he was a bit special, Harry. <laughs> that, I mean, I mean that, <laughs> uh, thank you, James, for, for being so open and honest and, and sharing yeah. all that. You know, it, I think any, that resonates with anybody or if anybody's, you know, wants, wants to help again, I think uh, we'll have the links below in the description that you can check out uh, for help in the UK and around the world uh, where you can can get that too. Um, I suppose the one thing though that that does help is is for all of us, I suppose, whenever we have issues, is is, is, is this passion for, for motorsport and, and, and motorbike racing, particularly for yourselves. Um, now, I want to sort of move a little bit on to, to the on, on track action that, that we've seen um, so far this year. James said, you know, your your priorities now obviously your wrist but you're you are you are a pundit commentator presenter broadcaster now um what have you made of of the moto gp action so far in, in 2023 um i've realized that a michelin front tire is not really set up for a sprint race <laughs> 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 and um <laughs> i think the medical insurance on the riders has just gone up a little bit hasn't it <laughs> uh because it's um it's it's obviously a new concept and it is brilliant but um but they've realized that having a qualifying session on a friday morning they've changed it now haven't they to a free practice now but uh, um but it's 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 intense you've got um every single rider on the grid and um over 10 world champions there's there's you know there's you look at the back of the grid and you've got moto two winners you know and champions and with all the bikes that are very very similar um, level of competitiveness so it's 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 you know you're half a second off and you're outside q q1 and it's it's really really intense and i think the intensity of the format of it at the beginning of this year especially with the sprint race was a little bit too much so and that's why we saw the the, the crashes and the injuries can you see with the i mean we've only done a third of the season and it's been pretty intense we've had a long summer break which everyone you know repairs themselves mentally and physically but now this next slog that we've got that we're going to be going through with all you know India, Japan, Thailand, Malaysia, you know all over the place, Australia, they're across four different continents. You know some of them back to back, most of them back to back actually. You know mentally and physically, that's going to destroy teams. It is going to be probably the most difficult time ever in MotoGP from a from a team perspective. Yeah. If you're one of the first in last out of the, the paddock, 
No, I mean, about after Dawner that put all the, obviously the production in, but, uh, you know, if you're an engineer that, that goes in there to uh, to get the, the tie warmers on and then you're the last out of the garage before, to, to lock the door uh, on this calendar, uh, I mean, it was it's 20 rounds, is it? Now not 21 with Kazakhstan being cancelled, but um, it's three on, one off, two on, one off and three on, isn't it? That's, that's, the, that's the next kind of run that they've got. And it is brutal. And I think MotoGP, 21 rounds... And it, the problem with the MotoGP, it's not 21 rounds in Europe. It's 10, 11 rounds, like proper flyaway races. You know, you're on an aeroplane for six hours plus to all of these venues. And, you know, jet lag, cultures, food, um, you know, they go into in, India, temperature, temperature uh, humidity. It's um, it's really, really grueling. And I know Formula One's got to that 21, 22 race mark, and they're even having to have rotational teams uh, in in, uh, in the garage. But, I don't, I don't, I don't know if MotoGP's got that kind of budget yet to get rotational teams and personnel because, as we've seen in MotoGP over the last couple of years, you've got you've got personnel actually just kind of going through uh, each uh, different teams within the paddock as it is. Um, you know, can you see a situation where we end up like there was, you know, years ago, dropping off a Moto Three or a Moto Two round of some of these, and we end up with MotoGP that may have the budget to be able to facilitate that kind of calendar if you like but do you think we might find ourselves with um, some of the motor two and motor three teams running out of cash running out of well, personnel they're not giving them a warm-up on a sunday morning keith are they anymore so you know ditching them for a few rounds here and there's i'm sure is not going to be a problem for them I, I know i thought that was a little bit controversial not giving motor three and motor two a warm-up and just having a parade on the back of a truck for motor gp riders to, to wave to the crowd um, was uh, a little bit of a kick and, and I know Sam Lowe's that's coming to World Superbikes from Moto2. Yeah, that was one of the inclinations that, that, that Moto2, Moto3, it's really, really secondary now um, and a, a class to, to the show. And um, he didn't like that. We we have got quite a unique situation, though, haven't we, where the, the, the sort of boundaries between Moto3, Moto2 and MotoGP are quite close, whereas in you know most other sports you look at, the others are the others, you know. Who knows anything about Formula Two and Formula Three in in cars? You don't know anything about it, as a, you know. And perhaps that's a dawner tactic to try and make that greater separation. Although technically they've made Moto Two closer to Moto GP, but maybe maybe that's gone a bit a little bit too close. Maybe they are trying to get that uh, delineation between them just a little bigger. Yeah, true. But there's. As a rider, and as you know, Keith, um, you know, safety first for me. And if you have a crash on the Q2 in Moto2, and then you can't ride the bike again until the actual race without a warm-up on Sunday morning, um, is is there's a real risk to that. You know, you, you're not 100% sure if everything's straight and everything's back to how it should be, ready for that race without a warm-up if you've crashed Saturday afternoon uh, in Moto3 and Moto2. And I also think that having Moto3 and Moto2 kind of as close as possible. I mean, um, in cars, you couldn't name me the top 10 of Mo- Formula 2, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, but maybe not. Um, I don't want to. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, but I can... I can, I can, I can be able to. <laughs> but, you know, but I could, I could confidently name 10 riders in Moto3, 10 names in, Mo, names in Moto2, and all the names in MotoGP. And I think the, the, the audience, uh, with that uh, exposure to them, and also... It, it connects the fan base to these youngsters that are coming through. By the time they get to MotoGP, they've got a following that instantly helps MotoGP as well. So you've got to, I think, I think that's to take into consideration. I think I, you bring I, us on to a subject there, actually. If I'm sorry, Harry, if I can just no. jump in, you, you bring us up to a, a subject there where it has been so successful through the CEV for the Spanish Championship and the like, feeding MotoGP and Moto3, Moto2, and then MotoGP that we've got an absolute bottleneck of top quality riders now and not enough teams in MotoGP. I mean, we're looking at, you know, I specifically think of Yamaha and Honda who are going to find themselves in a situation where their top riders are going to jump ship at any given moment because the the, the the production of decent motorcycles for those guys hasn't really worked out. Maybe Quattararo after Mizano will, will try and jump ship if, that, if Yamaha haven't done something, you know, in the Mizano test, and I can't really see what they're going to achieve in the short time space they've had. So I think Quattararo is going to be happy until the end of the year. You've got Marquez, you know, who's made Honda's name for, for years now. Is he going to jump ship? I think probably he is. You've got KTM versus Ducati at the moment trying to fight over extra grid spaces, and Ducati's trying to block them off so KTM don't get a few more places. I mean, we've got a very, very tense end of 2023 into 2024, haven't we? Massively, like you're saying, you know, it's, uh, uh, the musical chairs, the, the, the music is going to stop soon. And there's certainly not enough chairs, is there? Um, especially we got to find a place for Pedro Costa in, uh, uh, in, in, in the KTM squad that, um, you know, I think they've tried every um, available solution to slot him in somewhere in, in that family. But uh, that's not looking, it's not looking likely. But I mean, for someone like a Costa, I mean, if I was Honda or Yamaha at the minute on the back foot, uh, obviously when you're on the back foot, you got to pay the big dollars. I mean, look at Ducati only, what, five, six years ago when they were paying Lorenzo like five, uh, one million quid a month um, because their bike wasn't competitive. Well, uh, can you imagine the offers now to riders? You know, I mean, you'd be lucky to get, you're lucky to get like a tenth of that now just because of the situation. So Yamaha and Honda, it's not going to be cheap for them, but um, but if they can get someone like Pedro on it that's uh, that's young and kind of, he hasn't got the reference as well because obviously you've got Juan Mir coming from the Suzuki and Rins, uh, etc. From 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 the Suzuki coming to ride different motorcycles. As we've seen over the past few years, riders that are in MotoGP for quite some time establish themselves on riding a particular manufacturer, and it's not easy to jump manufacturers uh, and 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 be competitive because they have a, a real uh, individual stylistic way of riding them, don't they? So. Um, like Honda did in uh, in World Superbikes, they got rid of Leon Haslam and Bautista because of their reference before. They wanted two young riders with no reference to actually bring the bike on in a certain direction with Viaje and Lacona. Um, it's not kind of worked out for them, but I see I see their logic in it. But uh, yeah, there's certainly too many riders. I mean, what, what do you see the future as for, for Marc Marquez? I see the future for Marc Marquez being... I know how much he's gone through to get back to being full fit, and is an eight times world champion with a with a with an absolute bonfire inside of him, and um, he's really really torn 
between loyalty to the manufacturer that's given him those championships um, and all that success and wealth and everything that brings being a MotoGP champion to um, now now actually uh, requesting from a manufacturer a bike that's safe enough now to allow him to achieve what he should be achieving without risking being in hospital again uh, because he's done it too many times. And the human brain and human nature, I don't think will allow him to go there on a Honda until Honda really make an improvement on the bike, which I can't see. How long did it take Ducati to get to where they are? Right? This, is not an over, this is not an overnight thing. And I think with Marquez's age and where Honda is at the minute, for Marquez to be rewarded from coming back after such adversity with his injuries, I, th I think he's going to have to move manufacturers for me to to be able to unlock unlock that 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 risk and that commitment that we always see Mark Marquez as having. Mark cannot unlock that 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 over the edge commitment to his job um, on the the bike he's on, and it, it and it's a real it's a real problem. We're in for bombshell announcements this year. There is no doubt in my mind about that. Now, let me ask you about Yamaha, if I may, as well, because obviously Yamaha, you rode for Tech 3. They moved to KTM at a time when KTM were nowhere and it didn't look like it was a great decision. But of course, as it turns out, KTM have, uh, have become quite a manufacturer and are challenging right at the very front end now. I mean, what 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 do you think Yamaha did wrong? What How did they end up so far on the back foot having achieved what they'd achieved on a motorbike that everybody wanted to ride just a few years ago? It's difficult, isn't it, with MotoGP? Everything moves so quickly. I mean, it's only it's only two years ago when Morbidelli was still finishing second on the championship on a satellite Yamaha, not not a factory Yamaha. You know, so it's it's just the the, the development, and I think where the Japanese manufacturers have kind of, if you could say they've 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 maybe at fault, I don't think they've focused their attention on these new developments on a motorcycle um, in the right area, like aerodynamics like electronics and we always know that the Yamaha's electronics you know wasn't the greatest compared to Ducati's and and also they were behind the curve massively uh, on the aero I mean the aero seems to be the thing I mean I was the last generation to ride without electronics but I remember when they dialed the anti-wheeling and the traction control in half decent crikey to lap times Lap times didn't plummet because the actual um, when you put full power into a motorcycle and you want to uh, uh, you know you would do a quali qualifying lap you know it's not too much different but how it looks after the tire and and the consistency of the lap times from lap one to the last lap was incredible I was you know a second a lap faster on the last lap than I was without it all and and I think that they've just they they've just maybe developed the bike in the wrong areas the last two years. You you um you mentioned uh, Bautista uh, there as well, and obviously he's going to be making a wildcard entry, uh, Sepang, isn't it, Malaysia for for Ducati. Um, obviously that's great for for you know World Superbikes to have to have another rider coming in for for a one off. But do you see any substance there, or is it just a case of sort of a bit of a reward for 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 well being the reigning champ and leading? Well, the last time Bautista actually won a full race in Australia, and he replaced um, was it you know he replaced uh, on the factory Ducati, he nearly put it on the podium. Yeah, nearly put it on the podium, didn't he? he finished about fourth. So, Alvaro Bautista yeah. is arguably one of the most successful riders that Superbikes have pinched. 
um, at that that period of his career in 2019 when he came and won those 11 races off the baton. And then he decided to ride for Honda for two years and realized it wasn't just his talents that made the difference. And he had to come back with his tail between his legs to yeah. the Ducati yeah. and he's, he's off again kind of thing. Um, but um, he had a test in Mizano not long ago, a couple of months ago, and I think he was only 0.8 off. And they didn't even stick anything decent on it, like, you know, super soft tires or whatever. And um, he's, he's, he's in a place of his life at the minute, Aro Bautista, where he's comfortable, confident, and, uh, and, and one of the biggest uh, assets is contentment. He's very content of where he's at. And, and those three together is just making it, it could, he could ride a, a penny farthing at the minute and still, and to still do a different lap, you know. So I, I, I'm pleased that Ducati have rewarded him. And I think Michele Pirro is a great rider, great test rider. But Alvaro Bautista doing a race run for them there on a development bike, I think we'll get different data because our, our, Pirro is a similar statue, you know, to, uh, to Bagnaia and, um, and Bastianini. Uh, whereas Banyaya is a bit smaller, a bit lighter. And I know that Ducati are, they've seen the difference it makes from a big heavy rider to from Scott Redding to Alvaro Bautista and what advantage it is down the straights and off the corners. And um, uh, they, they obviously they want, they want, they want Bautista to do on a MotoGP bike, what he does to get different data to Michele Piro to, to get, develop it in the future, which I think is, it's, it's clever from, from Ducati. Our own Cal Crush, though, has been working really, really hard out in Japan as well, hasn't he? He's a wild card later on at Motegi in the series. Um, I wonder what Yamaha are going to be able to achieve. A crutch, though, is, is still very, very... Like Danny Pedrosa with KTM as a, as, a, as a test rider, they're almost not test riders. You know, they're, they're still, they've still got that kind of pace that could put them right in the uh, top 10 of a the, of the Grand Prix at the moment. I wonder what Yamaha are working on that is going to make that improvement that is going to keep Quattararo because it's going to take something special for them to hang on to him. It is. You know, there's all the talk about B4s in the and inline fours uh, that Ducati and, and obviously the Aprilia seem to have uh, such an advantage uh, with at the minute. And um, all these MotoGP bikes have more horsepower than grip. So, you know, they all have. Uh, even the Yamaha has, you know, compared to Ducati. So it's how you put that power down to the tarmac. And that's what they have to find with all the aero, all the downforce, all the electronics. They have to just get that package on a whole. It's not just one thing. Even the inline four has enough power uh, to, to break the traction of, of a Michelin tire. But uh, all of the physics that goes with building a motorcycle and the inertia and everything else, um, it's... It's it's above my pay grade, and it just you know you look at KTM though, and you look at Aprilia, and you look you know they they poached all the best people. You look at Ducati, they poached uh, Gigi right from from Aprilia, um, and you know you go into KTM, all the engineers are all they're all like Honda, you know when you go into KTM, Matt Lloyd and all the uh, Matt Lloyd sorry and all all the rest of them, they and and they they've got money behind them, you know, in the mass of uh, of, of Red Bull behind KTM obviously the Piaggio Group behind uh, Aprilia. Um, they're huge companies that, that that own Aprilia and KTM that have the resources and don't mind investing in it to uh, to get the best people. And also, KTM were clever to get Jack Miller. You know, Where's Jack Miller just come from? Riding a factory Ducati. 
I mean, it, well, you know, it's not just Jack Miller as a fast rider. It's like how much information can we get from Jack Miller about the factory Ducati? You know, it's uh, it's these strategic decision making at, at, at certain times to get the information required to 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 move in in, in a certain way. Because when you go into a MotoGP uh, paddock, well, there's not there's not a environment that's more secretive on the planet. You know, you can't find out anything. So how do you find out? Well, you pay someone more to come from them, and and that's what they've done. It's really, really and it's paying off. It's took a while, but the the intelligence of the poaching, shall we say, of of personnel in much GP panic has been a massive influence on the success of the uh, um, uh, European manufacturers. Mm. One thing you'll be sure, I bet the old contracts are looking a bit tighter now than they ever did in the past. I mean, you mentioned Mark <laughs> Lloyd just a moment ago. You mentioned Matt Lloyd, his brother as well, by the way. <laughs> um, Mark Lloyd was uh, HRC's gearbox guy going back in the day. And I mean, Mark, pup, um, he... I'd never, I still haven't seen the inside of a, a seamless gearbox from Honda. I mean, it was so secret. I used to ask Cal Crutchlow, have you ever seen the inside of one of these? And he said, no, they come in covered up. You know, one guy takes them out, one guy takes them in. There's a security around it is like incredibly tight. So poaching someone like Mark, who intimately knows seamless, HRC seamless gearbox secrets, um, you're right. Money talks in those situations. Um, yeah. But I bet the contracts are tighter now than they've ever been. Well, I mean, you know, if if you're in MotoGP and you are a, a very good engineer, then you know manufacturers better pay for them uh, and pay for them well, because uh, um, you know someone will take them, and you know you don't get the information that they know unless you take them, and you know that's why the European manufacturers found that out. And, you know, I, I I go, I used to go in two garages in MotoGP because that's where I knew everybody. Now I, I go down the whole the whole pit lane now because they're all <laughs> spread out. <laughs> It's it's a really interesting time in, in MotoGP, I think, at the moment. And we've had this conversation before on the podcast where we look at the broader appeal, I suppose, and the popularity and and, and the, the term alien as well has come up quite a lot. And, and we've had a few questions come in and Tub Legends on YouTube has asked or has said, what MotoGP lacks these days is a global superstar. Somebody who puts bums on seats no matter what their nationality is. Example, Rossi. Today... If fans don't have somebody of their own nationality to support, such as a British rider in MotoGP, then they stay at home and watch it on TV. James, I don't know what, what your views are on this. I mean, I, I think you're at Silverstone, won't you? And uh, Silverstone is obviously a, such a massive place, so everything that's not Formula 1 looks a bit sparse anyway. But it did look a little bit quiet. Yeah, and I'm a broadcaster now, so I like that people watch it on television at the minute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so as far as you're good, all, all sorted, happy days. Yeah, but <laughs> um, but when I was racing, it was the opposite. And yeah, we we do we do suffer without a British rider, that's for sure. Will Jake Dixon get an opportunity? And it's that's uh, that's still yet to be seen. But but if we have a British rider in there, especially a successful one, it's huge. It is huge. I mean, when I went in 2008. I got a MotoGP opportunity for various reasons, as you do as a rider. But one of them was when Dorna came to Branzac in 07, and there's 126,000 people at Branzac for the Superbike event. You know, they obviously come in there and go, well, you know, we need a bit of that. We want a bit of that. Let's get James to MotoGP and, and, and sell some tickets. And that's the business of it. And we've been spoiled with Valentina Rossi for, for, for over two decades. And it's a big loss. Uh, it's a big loss for MotoGP for sure. And um, will there ever be another Rossi again? I, I think uh, I, I think there will be, but um, um, 
Uh, I'm not sure when, but uh, he, he certainly left a legacy behind. Valentino was global, um, which is important, obviously, for the sport as a whole. Jake Dixon, you mentioned, you know, Dorna have been paying for Dave, Jake Dixon pretty much. I mean, uh, Dorna are very proactive when it comes to rider markets. But you're talking about a British market when you're talking about Jake Dixon. I mean, the, this week, the, the the various speculation has been on fire regarding Jake moving up to MotoGP. So that's what you were alluding to, I think, James. Um, yeah. But Dorna are, have been funding British riders. You can go back as far as you like. Yeah. Jeremy McWilliams was funded by them back in the day as well. I mean, there's been some British riders that have, that have had some fair amounts of money. Some, sometimes Dorna gets slammed for not doing enough. But behind the scenes, they do a tremendous amount of trying to support um, different marketplaces. And Jake Dixon has, has, has definitely had the right side of that. He was unlucky at Silverstone. Um, we could have really done. With Jake um, being on the podium, there's no doubt, and Sam, Sam Lowe's as well, of course. Um, then ITV pulled the live coverage, the the free live coverage, which I still can't get to the bottom of why ITV one would have done that. I mean that, the, you know, there's. I think the, it was the football. Well, yeah, there's the women's football championship, but they were committed to um, MotoGP um, and to, to to dump it so close to the actual event gave no nobody any options for for making changes in that, which which seemed like a knee-jerk reaction by ITV. They knew what the schedules were months and months and months ago. They didn't need to be promoting, you know, MotoGP on ITV and then dump it. I think they're a very, very poor knee-jerk reaction to that. But as it turns out, probably the right decision. Jake falls off on the first lap and, and, and young Ogden, Scott Ogden, finds himself on the back of the grid instead of where he should have been in the, on the front row. But um, so, so nothing, I suppose, lost as far as the television company is concerned, particularly. But it's about whether Jake can step up to MotoGP. He was a quick superbike rider back in the day. Do you think he can, James? I think he can. I think he he, he can certainly ride a MotoGP bike um, <clears throat> well. But um, like it, where where Jake's lacking at the minute from a really successful rider is consistency that's it's it's the pedro costas the mark marquezas the the lorenzos and the rossis week in week out in one two fives on one two three or they're there they're on the podium and they're battling to win championships they're not they're not there sixth crash there fifth and it's He's had he's had enough time in Moto Two now to be able to get used to everything that goes with it to to find that consistency, and obviously then you know you saw his emotions with the interview that he did with with Neil after about about Brad Binder, and um um you know the the real greats um they uh, they they they're able to harness those emotions into in into in the right way to to allow them to race at the front but not make any mistakes and and when you watch all the top guys in Moto3, Moto2, MotoGP now how few mistakes they make going at those speeds especially now is absolutely incredible so what we were talking about earlier in, in, in this it, with the, the focus and the concentration uh, it's uh, it's developed to an unbelievable level and um, that's, that's where I think Jake's missing piece of the jigsaw just needs to fall into place He's got the belief that he can win races now. He's got the confidence that he can. He's proved he can with that uh, ride the other week. Um, but 
he hasn't he can't put it together week in week out still yet and there's that, that that's a difficult one there's there, there's quite a few riders that can't do that and that's something that teams find very very difficult because you can't manage that you can't teach that that is a natural instinct that the top top riders have that they do the right thing at the right time every weekend sam lowe syndrome it would seem yeah the sam and alex and uh, you know the, the two brothers are so passionate and so fast um and you know they'll, they'll say themselves that they they this the, the decision making just at really high intense moments and when you look over a 10-year career of of these of these riders um it's a frustratingly consistent pattern of errors that just at the just enough to because as 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 it's it's so difficult to train that out of somebody and even with the best of managers like David Itadotsi and all you know all these great managers you you can't you you cannot make those decisions on the bike for them it's down it's down to them to do that and the greats do you do not need to tell a great rider um that you know any tactics in those moments where where some people can make a mistake mm. Well, we'll wait and see uh, what lies in store for Jake Dixon this weekend uh, at Austria. I want to I want to get some predictions for Austria just before we go. We are running out of time, but there's a couple of questions, James. I just want to run by you that have come in. Uh, Aiden on Twitter has asked, um, would you like to see BMW, Kawasaki, any other manufacturers join the MotoGP grid? Yeah, more the merrier. Honestly, more the merrier. We're in a, we're in a period now where the world is changing. Um, you know, that the manufacturing is changing for vehicles on the road. Um, are, are we going to sell combustion engine motorcycles in the next 10 years? Who knows? Um, is it going to be battery powered? Is it going to be uh, high? You know, is it going to be whatever, whatever the, uh, the the power source is going to be? Who knows? And uh, one thing I do know, though, is we need to keep the noise for me. And uh, if it's synthetic fuels or whatever, we need to keep the noise because the noise is, you know, I, 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 no one ever went to a rock concert and pulled the, pulled the power off, did they? You know, they didn't want to see acoustic, did you? When you went to see Metallica, uh, uh, so um, and um, however we do that, I think is important. But can MotoGP, can can motorcycle racing, superbikes, or MotoGP, can we sustain sustain it with manufacturers' support if manufacturers aren't going to sell what we're racing? Nothing else matters. Metallica, by the way. I feel I feel like now might be a good time to quickly talk about um, lack of noise. I, I do just need to plug on our sister podcast, Motormouth, uh, with the uh, uh, the latest episode is with uh, journalist Sam Smith, who talks all about Formula E uh, and the the rise of Formula E and how that started. Um, now we know Keith, we know Keith's opinions towards Moto E, uh, but uh, James, in, in that. In that vein, Moto E. I mean, Ducati came on board this year with the bikes. Are you watching it? I mean, I first time I caught a bit of the action was Silverstone, and okay, yeah, the noise isn't there, but it's quite a close field. There was some dicey racing. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great class, and it's great technology, and it's it, if it's the future. Obviously, the Ducati bike compared to a Jika bike. I mean, it's about thirty kilograms less, and it's it's a proper little racing bike now, and the lap times are such a are, are more competitive, or closely kind of like to like motor three motor two and uh they are still a bit heavy though and so the racing's a certain way because of that and um but yes kind of, you know that's the question is motorcycle racing going to be able to sustain itself by by uh, you know racing motorcycles that we don't sell because 
that's not what we've ever done it for. We, we've always raced motorcycles to showcase technology, to, to advertise uh, their product to the customers that want to buy them. And if, and if that isn't going to be the case, uh, like Suzuki pulled out of MotoGP because they, 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 they were going battery throughout the, the, the factory. Um, you know, it's a worry because, you know, we only need maybe another manufacturer to pull out and have that kind of remit to, to the, to the company policy. And all of a sudden it, it, it's really on thin ice motorcycle or motorsport is going against the grain of, of, of the narrative to what this, what we need to do for the planet it massively. I mean, we, we, we're burning off more CO2 than God knows what the, the, the rubber that we, we, we're burning off. Uh, with the tires and, and and all the trucks going around, all the aeroplanes, cargo that goes around the world to take everything, uh, we're going against the grain massively. So, um, I I'm nervous. I'm ner- in the next ten years. I'm nervous for motorsport in its entirety. So I, I'm going to be really intrigued to see if we can keep the combustion engine with the noise, that the synthetic fuels that don't kick out the CO2s mm. and all the rest of it. But that's not the point. We can get we can get the uh, the carbon footprint down in motorsport, but are manufacturers going to want to do it if they're not selling it? That's the that's the big question, isn't it? Actually, for I come I, you know I do a lot of stuff in Formula One, James, and you know the cars actually are on the grid are probably the, the cleanest things going. It's all the other things around it, as you mentioned. It is it's the travel, it's the tires, it's the it's all the cargo. So it's that getting down, and then then does it become relevant for the big manufacturers to still be involved? That is a big question, which uh, I'm sure we could reserve a whole episode for. But I'm very conscious of time. One final question uh, from Todd on Twitter who asks you, James, uh, do you like the old school rule in World Superbikes of tyre choice with specials for different bike rider combos or do you like the one brand rule? Oh. Uh, oh. Um, <laughs> Throw that one in the end. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, like, I, I, like, I like the one brand rule because my, the, my knowledge of it historically was the competition between Bridgestone and Michelin and, and it was really unfair on, on Bridgestone because because you're, uh, most of the races back then were European based, they weren't around the globe like they are now, and uh, and used to go out on a Friday, and uh, and Valentino used to give the feedback to the Michelin guy on the Friday. Well, Michelin could develop a brand new tire and have it there for Sunday morning if he wanted to, uh, for the conditions and the track specifically for that weekend. Michelin could do that. They could get another one shipped in with a slightly different compound or construction. Um, and then, but Bridgestone couldn't do that because they were based in Japan. So we used to have the same thing between Dunlop and, Brid- and Michelin at the yeah. time. I mean, even though Dunlop was based in Birmingham back in the day, they couldn't make a tyre come Sunday. You see the Michelin van turn up, just one van, and two or three riders, that was all, would get these specials to try in warm up on a Sunday morning. And then by the time you got to the race, the, the things were so much better. But yeah, one mate for me. It's just configuring that. I remember the disaster that we had when Michelin took over from Bridgestone because the, the bias changed from, from you know, Bridgestone front end was so much better than anything that had ever been seen prior, but perhaps the rear end wasn't quite so grippy. And then it swapped ends, didn't it, with the Michelin. Suddenly the Michelin front end wasn't as good as uh, the Bridgestone, but the rear end was pushing like mad. And, and we had carnage at Sepang during the test. So, yeah. But, yeah, but the one, the, the one maker. But, yeah, we are better off. But um, you are lucky to have a riding style and a stature to accommodate for it because if if there were bespoke tyres, 
I could pretty much guarantee that Danny Pedrosa would be a world, a MotoGP champion if he could have had specific tyres for himself. As soon as they went to one make tyre, there was never a front tyre soft enough for him um, uh, from, from that point on, or rear tyre, really. Uh, but because he was such a, a freak of nature, being you know uh, less than fifty kilograms and 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 three foot two, um, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, that the one mate thing just didn't never it never was in a window. Only if it was hot enough on the right track in the right conditions, then he blitzed them, didn't he? But on a whole, when you've got different climates, different temperatures, different track temperatures, and all the rest of it, one tire thing. It didn't suit the uh, some some riders, that's for sure. So mm. I really felt sorry for people like Danny uh, with with that situation. But it, it was fairer on a whole. So tire manufacturers didn't have that advantage of making tires. Yeah. Well, look, thank you for for all the questions being sent in. Uh, continue to do that. Uh, our email is omgmotogp at gmail or on social media. Just uh, search for omgmotogp. Uh, James, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Before we let you go, because we definitely have run over time, but it is Austria this weekend. Actually, Keith and I will be doing uh, a separate preview show on Thursday, OMG MotoGP Extra, where we will just be focusing on what's ahead for Austria. So do have a look for that. But we've got James here. So I want to lock in some predictions right now for this weekend, please, um, and what your what your reckoning is. So, James, I'm looking for your top three riders in both the sprint and then the Grand Prix. So if you're feeling bold, the floor is yours. Uh Peko Bagnaia, uh, Oge Martin, and uh, Brad Binder. Is that for the You've sprint? About that. Is You've that thought for... about that already? I, I have, because I do the GP Fantasy League, and, uh, uh, it's in, and, and I'm second, and it's getting serious. Okay, so <laughs> is, that, is that your top three for the, main, for the main race, the main Grand Prix, or is that the sprint? I'm putting Brad Binder in there for the sprint, uh, because but... the KTM's like lightning off the straights, and it's their test track, obviously, and it's their track. And, um, you know, and it's small small and light so anybody okay. small and light at the uh, as we used to call it the a1 ring the red bull ring because they are stop start corners from slow corners first gear all the way up to six so the small light riders have a bit of a power to weight ratio advantage at, at that particular track that's why jacass is always done well sir yeah so well hang on I, I'm, I'm gonna have to nail nail you down here for yeah. your top three in the sprint um I think Pecco still got it. He, yeah. In Silverstone, but before the rain, he had such an advantage. I don't know if you noticed how he went around the outside of people, but if it wasn't for the rain, Pecco would have blitzed it. So Pecco first, Jorge Martin, um, a close second. And I, and I think uh, someone like Brad Binder can just uh, scrape off the rest of them. Okay, so you're you're gonna, you're gonna doing Banyaya, Martin, Binder for sprint and for Grand Prix. That's your top Love three. That's for both. Yeah. Oh, fair play. All right, then. Uh, I'm going to go, I've done for sprint, Binder as well, for the exact same re- reasons, Martin second, Banyaya third, and my Grand Prix prediction is Banyaya, Bezeki, and then I've gone for Alex Marquez, just just because, riding high yeah. maybe off the sprint race breakthrough last time out. Keith, what about yeah. you? Yeah, I've done no homework on this at all. <laughs> <laughs> he lied. Um I'm going to have a bit of Alacious Barbaro because he went well there uh, going back. He's coming off the back of uh, a great result. Um, so I'm going to have a little bit of Alacious Barbaro uh, for the sprint as a winner from Bagnaya from Jorge Martin. And then for the main race, Bagnaya for the win, Binder Martin. Okay. But have the I nice thing a... is with MotoGP, there's like oh. at least five wildcards that are on the podium, aren't they? You know? 
They really I say, are. I've been a bit rogue with with Alex Marquez there. I just think with with the contract renewal as well, could be could be quite a confidence boosting weekend. You don't maybe. have to justify what you've said. It's okay. <laughs> don't worry, Harry. You'll be all right. We won't take the bit if you get it wrong. Don't worry. <laughs> the only thing yep, with Marquez, sure. the only thing with Alex, Alex Marquez at the minute, he's just got a little bit of doing the right thing at the right time syndrome that I was talking about before. Mm, mm, okay. Yeah, he, he, he hasn't he hasn't fallen all into place yet. I'm not sure if that's just because it's the first year on Ducati, but. Uh, he just finds himself in the gravel or, or, or going wide or doing some 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 mistake when he's overtaking uh, at the minute. But um, um, it's it's great to see him actually be, uh, on a bike that can be competitive because he was on an uncompetitive Honda for for many years when he that on. So, well, no, not the final word, but I'm just uh, going to remind anyone that's still listening to us here, which hopefully you are. OMG MotoGP Extra on Thursday. We'll be talking about, you heard James talk about Zeltwig, A1 ring, Osterite ring, Red Bull ring. These are the incarnations of the track. We'll have a bit of, a, bit of a, a, a conversation regarding all the different uh, Austrian Grand Prix type scenarios we've had in the past as well. Some of the best bars to drink and eat in nearby, you know, those kind of things. The, the kind of stuff that really um, I'm, I quite enjoy now in my older age. So we'll be, we'll be going through plenty of that. And we'll pick up on anything that comes out from this. So if you if you want to get in touch with us, don't forget to uh, make sure you give us your questions because you've got extra on Thursday. Oh, well sold, Mr. Hewan. Well sold. Well, look, we are definitely out of time. Make sure you are tuned in across the OMG MotoGP socials and YouTube for all the latest news and analysis. We'll be here on Thursday for OMG Extra. Uh, as Keith says, get your question in questions in and please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcast as well uh, and we shall see you on thursday uh, my thanks to keith ewan and james tosland what a pleasure to have you on the show thank you so much for taking the time it's been fascinating and uh, we hope we haven't scared you off and you'll come back later on in the year <laughs> pleasure i know from it all cheers keith cheers mate always good to see you you too pal take care guys cheers all <laughs>